Hello, EOC. Matt and Brody here with you, and of course, Harold. Uh, it's good to be back this week. Last week, I was ill. Uh, <laughs> yeah, ill. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry to, to miss you last week. Gee, Brody, you're I'm looking sorry. really tanned this week. <laughs> <laughs> I got a message from Matt during the week, uh, which was actually forwarded on from Eman. And uh, I've actually got it here. <laughs> What you didn't know is that I asked them to send you messages. Well, I found out once I got this message. I made sure I went and listened to last week's podcast. <laughs> and uh, I, I know everything that happened last week. Yeah. Um, my personal favorite thing, I don't know whether everybody, anybody saw this, whether Eman just sent it to me or to the group, but he started off his get well message to Brody by saying, just reminding you that when you flaked last week... Well, you know, he thinks that because you said that. That's why. Look, I have no proof, and yet still do not have any proof that you were sick. Um, just throwing it out there. So, anyway. <laughs> I am back this week, and it's good to be back. Yeah, uh, We're getting into uh, the next part of Hebrews this week, which is from 5.11 through to the end of chapter 6. Yep. yep. Um, but before that we do that, I think you wanted to reflect a little bit on how things have gone in the last week. I do, I do. But before we let Lex, how about we pray mm -hmm. and then we'll jump straight Good in. Idea. Um, Father in heaven, thank you so much for the blessing to come together again in cyberspace uh, and think a little bit more about how we can be bringing your word to bear in the lives of your people. I pray for us now that the things that we learn will be helpful for us, that we will retain them in our heads and in our hearts uh, and that you'll be equipping us to bring about um, good things in your name. Amen. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Cool. So two sections, as is usual, guys, leading the group and then teaching the text. Uh, today in leading the group, we're going to be looking at application. Uh, so we'll get to that in a second. But some reflections first about how the week's gone. I just want to say that I'm actually really encouraged. Um, I'm Like I said last week, I'm seeing you start to put into practice the things that we've been talking about in the podcast, uh, and you're getting better. Uh, so, so be really encouraged. I'm seeing more landed planes. Uh, so people aren't just cruising on past the airport. Um, we still had a few crash landings, um, but we're landing on the airstrip, which I'm, I'm pretty happy about, actually. Uh, and like I've said to a few of you this week, uh, just keep persevering. Uh, at this point, all you need to really be thinking about and doing is consolidating the things you're learning, and in time, you will get better and better. And it is a new skill that you're learning. Mm. Right? If you've never led a Bible study before, and this is your first time around, you've only had a few weeks of giving it a go, really. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I've just been encouraged too to see the the seriousness with which you've taken on the responsibility of leading as well. Mm. And that's pleasantly surprised me. I'd expect nothing less from Christians. However, the reality is that that doesn't usually happen. And I've just been really encouraged at how thoughtful uh, and intensely you've been preparing and thinking and reflecting uh, and licking your wounds when you haven't really pulled off what you'd, you'd set what out to, to pull what off. What does it mean to lick your wounds? Well, you know, like when you have a wound, you lick it. Duh. Um, <laughs> for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but one of the things that I have noticed is because uh, we're not managing our time as well as we could be, whilst we're landing the plane, we're, we're landing it in the last minute and we're not giving time to people to, to settle and realize where they've landed. And so it's almost as if as the plane has hit the tarmac and is coasting to a stop, we're unloading people from the plane already. Ejecting from Yeah, the we haven't even had time just to stop and then let the, the tunnel come out and connect to the plane so you can walk out into the airport. Uh, and I really want to encourage you to be thinking about uh, your timing 
because getting to the end, and what I mean by that is getting to the point where you can apply the passage is going to be really significant mm. um, because we believe that the Bible is not just something of uh, that communicates information to us. It's something that brings about transformation within us. And if you remember the EOC Mission Bible statement that we have, um, what is it? It's to proclaim Jesus Christ to make and mature disciples. Uh, and to do that, we actually need to draw out the implications of Jesus and his gospel and where that might apply in our lives. Mm. So I want to encourage you to be keeping an eye on the time and making sure that if discussions balloon out, that you step in, close them down, maybe if you just need to summarize or even give the answer, just so that you can get enough time to get people personally reflecting. Uh, I think that's going to be, well, it's, it's worth it. It needs to happen. And in the studies that we're sending to you guys, we're sending studies that have an application at the end, uh, but it's worth thinking through how to do application well when you're writing the study, but also when you're in the group. Uh, sometimes it might be helpful to think about the way that you want to actually do application in the group with the application that you've been given. Uh, and so there's a couple of different things to think about uh, when doing, uh, doing the application. Um, actually, Matt, you've written down what you wanted to say. Yeah, so you're just saying that because you can't read my writing, can you? It's legit. I, I can't. Yeah, look, it's beautiful, but it's illegible. If two things were possible. You write all in caps for some reason. Yeah, it's because I... Um, but not always. Sometimes. It's like if you've got a smaller note, then you put it in lowercase. It's a way right, of actually... It's actually assistant to Yeah, yeah. So the headings are all in whatever, and then you're like, you'll see something. Where do I write it? Yeah, here. Yeah, 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 yeah. It doesn't, you know, like... It doesn't really matter, guys. You don't care. Let's talk about application. You should um, care. It's, it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> two things to be thinking about when it comes to applying a Bible passage. The first is the actual passage. The passage is the thing that will tell you what you need to do or change or believe. And generally speaking, you can break this down into one of two things. It's either an application of belief. What do I need to change my thinking about? What do I need to affirm? What do I need to deny? Um, what do I need to believe? Uh, the second is behavior. And usually it will flow out of belief. Uh, and the behavior is exactly what it says. What do I need to change in the way that I do things? Uh, in the way that I say things in response to the passage. Now, occasionally you'll get a passage that is purely a application of belief. Um, so don't be afraid if sometimes you realize, oh, hang on a minute, my study is just telling you to think a certain thing. But generally speaking, it will have direct implications to the way that we live. And this is often the application that we forget. And I think partly because we are so well-schooled, at least in this area of the world, that that. Um, salvation comes through faith and not through works that we're kind of reticent to suggest that we need to do something in mm. response to the Bible. Mm. The reality is though that we do. And the, the main, the biggest, of course, behavioural change is, uh, is there in what you do when you become a Christian. So when you become a Christian, what is it? It's faith and repentance. Mm. So faith, you're believing something, you're assenting to what's gone on on the cross, you're sending that Jesus is Lord. But you're also doing a behavioural change. You're repenting. You're turning around and you're changing the way you live so that you live under Jesus' lordship. Mm -hmm. And famously, Martin Luther said in his 95 Theses that he nailed on the door and started the Reformation, the first one was all of life is repentance. It happens first when you convert, but then you continue. That's the pattern of the Christian life. And actually, if you listen, um, at the end of each Bible talk, when I pray at the end, I try to repent on our behalf when we do it. Not just pray for God's blessing or that he'll do something, but that we'll repent. I will repent on our behalf of the sin that that passage exposes. So that's just something to think about. So 
one part of the application comes from the passage, that's the main part, but the second part actually comes from the people. Uh, and that means that you need to know your group. Because the way that you apply today's passage, for example, will look very different to a nominal Christian or a fringe Christian, as opposed to somebody who's been steadily and solidly walking in the faith for 20 years. Mm. Uh, and so knowing your people is actually really important. And then you can extrapolate from that and think about how then the application could be to an individual or to you as a group, um, particularly relevant if you're in a church and the church has completely neglected something as a community that needs to be addressed, but that doesn't really concern you. Um, so application, you need to know the scripture, the passage, and you need to know your group and the people that are in it. Um, there are some people who would say you should think about teaching the Bible with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. What do you think of that, Matt? Well, it's funny because I've spoken to a very famous evangelical in Sydney and asked that exact question. Because yeah. John Stott, um, a UK evangelical, was the one who said that. Bible in one hand, newspaper in the other. Um, and I asked uh, his Sydney equivalent one day and he just went, no, I just put the Bible in both hands and run with it. <laughs> um, mind you, he probably reads more newspaper and interacts with more things than anything yeah. else. He was just making a point to me, I think. But yeah, you, you need to exegete the people as much as you need to exegete the passage and the best bible teachers will be the ones who understand who they're speaking to as but well I, I as think, the passage yeah and i think that's really good to note though i i, I want to definitely say you need to spend your time understanding the passage yeah, because right. we actually already understand people so as much as people plays a role in our you know in our how we're going to go about application you are a person. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't talking to you. Oh, to them. yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, Harold, me and you can be a club. <laughs> you actually have a, a normal, natural understanding of people anyway. Uh, I don't think you need to go out of your way to understand what people are like. Uh, spend your time working out what the Bible says and then spend time thinking about how you can integrate that with mm. where you know your people And are. And if, you, if you're not convinced that you don't, that you know people and you think that you don't know people, um, the solution um, is to know yourself more. Um, if you know yourself and you, you're a bit more reflective, understand why you do things, it gives you an insight into why other people will as well. They won't exactly be like you, um, but that's the doorway in. Mm. I feel like we're in danger of going, you know, I have five minutes to reflect now and well, I had that written down. You, you couldn't read it. Um, but look, let's talk a bit then about uh, some principles when it comes to application. Uh, the first is um, I want you to be aware of avoiding the generic application uh, and instead aim to be specific. Now, some examples of a generic application are how would you apply this passage? <laughs> um, or what do I need to change in the way that I believe um, in response to this passage? What do I need to do in response to this well, passage? What are you going to do this week Yeah. after Bible yeah. study today? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and in fairness, those, those questions have their place. And in fact, we're going to bring one to bear a bit later on in the well, podcast. Why do you think people do it? Why, why do people keep it so general? I think it's because they're either lazy or they're not confident in going any more specific. Okay. That's, that's what I think. Why? Do you have a different... Oh, no, I just... I, I feel like maybe I'm a little bit more optimistic yeah. than you are, just generally. Um, I wonder whether it's those things, but it's also uh, not wanting to miss an application for someone. See, the danger of going too specific, right, is that you end up addressing just 
married men who are 26 years old and like cars. You know, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah I understand. If you go yeah, too specific, yeah, yeah. then it rules everyone else out. And mm. then suddenly there's no need for them to respond. And also because you don't know what's going on in people's hearts. Like, there, there, is, a, there is room for being general and letting people actually, their consciences be mm. seared mm. because of what... Well, not seared, but you know, pricked because of what they're reading. But there is a danger of going too far. That way, yeah, but, but I think this feeds into why mm. you need to be thinking about the people as the, you do the application, not just the passage, mm. because the people will, to some extent, inform how you apply it. For example, um, if you're preaching on a passage about sexual purity to a bunch of 80-year-olds mm. in a nursing home, you're going to do it very differently and say very different things and apply it in very different ways to a 20-year-old. You're not going to say to the 80-year-old, oh, make sure you get covenant eyes on your computer. You will say that to the 20-year-old. They're just grown in different worlds. They, they have different needs. And so that's why when I say be specific rather than generic, um, you've got to be asking like those classic questions, like what is it that the Bible is telling me to do? Why is it the Bible is telling me to do it? They're a bit generic, but then we start to get a bit more specific. Where would this come to bear in the lives of the people in my group? Um, how would they those people, those 10 people, five people who are sitting around the table with me, how would they make this happen in their lives? And I think, again, uh, just like you were encouraging everyone before, the way that you understand people better is to know yourself better. Well, the way that you make sure that your application is specific is by thinking about where this passage touches you and mm. rebukes you and challenges you. And I think, I yeah, maybe if I put my cynical hat on, Sometimes the reason why we don't do application well is because we haven't actually applied the text to ourselves in the first place. Yeah, and I think that's right. And had we edited more or planned more before the, the podcast started, I would have said that's the place that you start with application. Um, you have to start with yourself. If you skip it, um, you, you won't, it won't connect with the people that you're trying to ask the mm. same thing of. Mm. Um, and so each time you prep the Bible study, it is worth asking either right at the, the end or right at the beginning, whenever it is that would suit you, um, what do I need to do in response? Mm. Before you start thinking, what do my group need to do in response? Mm. And, and not keeping it general for yourself, mm. but actually going... Actually digging Hang down. on, you know what? I, I really didn't speak to Joe well the other day. I should, I should fix that. You know, like specific like that. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing, actually, I just in passing before we move on to the next guideline too, is just the other reason that we don't apply well is because we assume that other people can, mm -hmm. and so we ask the question, "Can I apply? Uh, how would you apply this?" And just assume that they know themselves well enough and have the nous to figure that out themselves. But the majority of people aren't actually as equipped to do that. As we may think and so helping them and giving them guidelines is really important mm. matt did say mouse just then not mouse uh just in case anyone misheard uh, and doesn't know what mouse means it's not the same as a little animal just mindfulness i don't know like you know like now your head your thinking doesn't have the thinking or the ability to do something i think that's what i was trying to get at thanks for that unnecessary aside well, look you know i just don't want to leave people confused yeah Cool. Um, second principle, be specific and then seek personal engagement. So don't ask a general question, ask a, a specific one. Um, to the group you would say, okay, I want you now um, to answer personally, how would you apply this passage? What would it look like in your life? And I feel like we don't do that enough because we're afraid to get up in people's grills and, and actually make things a bit 
awkward or, or personal, but I think we need to do that if we're going to see people responding and changing. Yeah. Yep. I agree. Great. Um, <laughs> moving on to the third and final principle that we've got for you today. Um, I've got here, don't be afraid to get practical. Uh, and that builds on the behavior stuff that we mentioned before um, and the comment I made before about people just not quite knowing how to apply it. Uh, and so once you ask that question, what do you need to change, then follow up by saying, and, and what is the first step? What is the thing that you need to do to see that change happen in your life? Um, or something along those lines, I just feel is really important and helpful. Yeah. Cool. Now with that in mind, um, let's have a look at the study brought to us this week by Nat and Jasmine. Thank you very much, girls, for this. Good team. Um, it was really good. We enjoyed going through it. Um, I wanted to jump down to the application questions and I wanted to workshop these. Oh, nice. Yeah, I know. So um, they have two application questions in the study that they sent us. Uh, one at the end of roughly the first half of the passage, which is responding to the warning of the author to Christians not to fall away. Uh, and then the second at the end of the passage after he encourages them to be assured that God's promises are certain. And so the application questions they've got, we want to put them through the, the grid that we've just given to you guys and should sharpen we, them. Should we say it's worth reading the passage first to understand where this application is coming from? That is probably true. So in contrary to previous weeks, how about you pause and make sure that you have a read of Hebrews 5 verse 11 all the way through the end of chapter 6 and then come on back. Well, now that you've read the passage, <laughs> <laughs> literally one second passed for us. Um, let's have a look. The, the first application question they've given us is, say you have a friend who you think might be falling away. How might you use this passage? Uh, oh, sorry, I might have edited this already. You did it. Oh, I'm you sorry, guys. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to get the proper one up? So you have a friend who you think might be falling away. Uh, how might this passage influence your sense of urgency? So what are your reflections, Brody? Mm. Uh, I think that it's good because it's personal. So it's you and your friends. Mm, so that's principle two of three. Yeah, which is good. Uh, it's, um, it's thinking about what you're going to do and it's using some of the stuff you've been learning in the passage. I think the trouble we found was that uh, the, the basis of the question, well, we were kind of assuming that you've already worked out, you're going to be pretty urgent mm. in talking mm. to your friend. And so I was thinking that it would be actually helpful to think about what, you, what you're going to do to that friend. Mm. What practically do you do when you see that someone's in that situation that this passage is warning about? Yeah, and so we're shifting to a behavior from a belief because the question as it stands, um, how, where am I looking? How might this passage influence your sense of urgency? It sort of is just implying, well, it will influence you to be urgent. But where will that urgency take you? Mm. Um, if you feel like you're dying and you are in that urgency state, then you're thinking, all right, I'm going to hop in the car and go to the hospital. Mm. Um, so what are we going to do with this passage? And so we've kind of suggested that we sharpen it a bit more. Um, we ask something on the lines of, um, is there anyone you know who is in a similar danger to the Hebrews of falling away? Mm. Um, we've even taught me the idea of asking it even more personally and saying, are you in danger of yeah. falling away? Yeah. How would you know? Um, but going with the, is there anyone you know who is in a similar danger to the Hebrews? We then want to ask a follow-up question and go, um, how would you use this passage to warn them or prevent them from falling away? Something along those lines. Yeah, or, or what just what could you do? Yeah. You know, yeah. You don't, I mean, it might be that 
in this situation, you don't need to you know read out verses nine to eleven with them or something. Yeah, it yeah. might actually be this passage has shown you that there's a real urgency, and so when you recognise that someone's in this same danger that the Hebrews are in, you're going to do what you can to pull them out of it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So yeah, you're right. So that's really helpful. What would you do? Yeah. Um, so that's still. I mean, the problem is that it could still be vague. Yeah, it could, but I suppose that's where you, as the leader, will will push and prod and go. All right, so you're going to help them. How? Mm. What is it you're going to do? Mm. Um, so usually, to generate discussion, you keep asking why. Um, yeah, but why is that? But why is that to dig deep into the passage? But when it comes to application, you keep asking the word how. Mm. How will you do that? How will you do that? And you no, keep building. I like that. Yeah, I literally just made that one up. That wasn't that wasn't um, premeditated <laughs> yeah, at all. Um, you're seeing behind the curtain. Oh, the curtain. Um, last, uh, second and last application question. This one is in response to the assurance that we have in God's promises. Um, their question is, uh, what is the hope that we have? And knowing this, does it give you assurance of your own salvation? Mm. Mm. Um, as it stands, a good question because it causes you to reflect on cl- with clarity on what it is you think you have and whether or not you actually have it. Mm. Um, but thinking about, again, with the guidelines, how do you think that this, this sits, Brody? Well, again, it seems to be focusing more on the belief side. Mm-hmm. Do you believe this? And hopefully throughout the study, we've actually already engaged with that at least a little bit. And so I think that actually this question would be strengthened um, by, well, actually, we kind of ended up going a slightly different way, didn't we? We, we kind of started thinking, well, We've talked about assurance of salvation, um, but what yeah, you... well, we wanted to know where that assurance came from. So, looking even in the passage there in chapter six, um, verse eleven, which I think in some senses summarizes the passage passages why, and we'll get to that in a second. Um, what does he say? We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Um, and so really where we landed with this, and I think we're segueing into the box here, which is not a bad thing. Mm. Um, so for those of you who had already read the passage um, and thought, no, I'm not going to do that, here's another chance <laughs> to pause, read the passage if you haven't, and summarise the box, because we're about to go through the box. Okay, great. I'm <laughs> glad that you've summarised the box now. Wow, you're so speedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, What is the passage about? Well, the issue here is that the Hebrews are being lazy. Uh, There's some really fun words in this passage. Dull of hearing, sluggish. um, Maybe they're more fun for for you, Matt. Yeah, well, I enjoy it. But here's what we had for what the passage is about. Uh, We said, spiritual laziness risks eternal condemnation, but continued growth in maturity leads to assurance of God's promised hope. So I'll read that again. Spiritual laziness risks eternal condemnation, but continued growth in maturity leads to assurance of God's promised hope. Uh, And the reason that um, the passage was written, so that's the what. The why is actually quite simple. The Hebrews are immature Christians and they're in danger of falling away. Um, That's basically the the situation that the author is writing into. Mm. And so what he seeks to do Um, is bring to their attention that their sluggishness, if left to their own devices, will see them fall away rather than persevere uh, and so receive the promised hope. Mm. And the big big way you can work that out is by asking, what has kind of 6 verse 4 and onwards got to do with the stuff that comes before it? Mm. Mm. Uh, And I think 
there's a reason why they're being put together. It's actually, they're, they're connected, right? That's, uh, we had a few illustrations, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, we did. Um, put a pause on that. Oh, okay. let, you want to say that for later. We've got to build up to the illustration. You illustrate yeah, after the explanation. I know, I know, but it will be good. Because what's the issue? Well, having a look there, chapter 5, verse 11 to 14, they're babies, they're not adults. Or rather, they're adults, but they're still wearing diapers. They're still having <laughs> breast milk rather than hearty steaks. Uh, and that's the problem. Uh, and so what he says is that by this point, you should have grown up, but you haven't. And that's a problem. And so then in chapter 6, verse 1, he says the big issue here, like, well, then let's leave behind the elementary doctrines and go on to maturity uh, and not laying again a foundation of repentance. Now, to understand this, you've got to remember the context, right? We've just done chapter 5, um, which is all about Jesus' qualifications as high priest. And then he gets to this thing about the order of Melchizedek in verse 10. And in verse 11, he says, we actually have a lot to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you've become dull of hearing and you're, you're little and, and young. And so in chapter 6, verse 1, when he says, let's not lay again the foundation of repentance, um, but move beyond that to something more important... He's actually talking about this whole priesthood thing with Melchizedek. Mm. And so what is the milk? Well, the milk is the foundation of repentance from dead works, faith towards God, washings, laying on of hands, resurrection, eternal judgment. You see that beginning of chapter 6. The solid food is the stuff that he will pick up in chapter 7 and go on through chapter 8, 9, and 10, which is the in-depth treatment of how Jesus, as our high priest, deals with our problem. Plus, it's also Melchizedek which is just raising so many questions. Yeah, like, for example, how do you even pronounce Melchizedek? Oh, yeah. Is it Melchizedek? Melchizedek. Melchizedeki. Yeah, I'm up for that one too. So with that in mind, the way that he responds is to say, you need to grow up. Um, you need to actually start putting into practice the things that you know rather than drifting back and away from your confession. Um, and that, in turn, tells him or t moves him to warn us, essentially. That if we don't grow up, we stagnate and die. And here's where the illustrations come oh, in. So, man, Brody, so I've just been stalling until I could share the illustration. I suggested, right, that this is kind of like the Christian faith is kind of like riding a bike. Because when you're riding a bike, if you stop moving forward, you fall off. Yeah, whereas I didn't realize that because I kind of thought if you stop moving forward, then you just coast. But this passage isn't saying that. This passage is saying if you stop moving forward, then you move backwards. So I kind of thought, better illustration, it's like walking up an escalator that's going down. If you keep walking up, you will keep moving forward. But if you stop, you just start moving backwards. But see, the trouble is, right, it's not that you move backwards when you stop. It's actually that you die. So it's kind <laughs> of like you're a shark. And a shark needs to keep swimming and that way the water goes through the gills and they stay alive. If they stop swimming, they die. They die. Which is, that's actually true. Brody's not making that up for, you know, street cred. What? So I actually think that that's like one of the best illustrations ever. And I've written it down in my eligible script to use in future sermons. I thought you were going to use the combination of all three. No. It's like a shark who's on a bicycle going riding up a down escalator. <laughs> <laughs> if he stops swimming and riding, he will die as he goes backwards and falls. <laughs> The point being is that if you want to be assured of your salvation, then you need to be growing. And we see that actually in chapter 6, verse 7 and 8, where he uses the illustration of the crop, um, or the land rather, that has drunk the rain. Uh, and the land is you. The rain is the truth of God. 
And the question is, what crop will you produce? In verse 7, will you produce a crop that is useful and then subsequently receives a blessing from God, which we can understand to be salvation? Or if you bear thorns and thistles, um, you'll be cursed and in the end you'll be burned up. Mm. And so his point here is not just an intellectual keep believing Jesus. It's actually a whole of life thing. It's a moral thing, not an intellectual thing. The way that you live and the things that you think and believe all together if you are not maturing in them, uh, then you are not producing the crop that the Word of God should be producing. And so God will actually curse you. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean here in this life. Um, he's talking here about your eternal um, salvation mm. or your loss thereof. Which I think is where the application comes in. Right? We've got this big question. What are you doing to be growing in your spiritual maturity? Which is, is quite specific. Mm. Uh, what are you actually doing to guard this and make sure that you're continuing in that trajectory. Um, I think, again, that's that's another place where you want to be making sure that you're doing application well. Yeah, and so that actually leads us back to that second application question that we paused. Um, and we did end up in a different place because the, the girls, their main point when they, they first had it was about enduring in faith uh, with a caution to fall away. And whilst that's true in the passage, we actually changed it slightly because we felt the emphasis was actually on the continued growth in faith rather than the endurance. And so we had as our main point, continued growth in faith prevents you from falling away and gives you assurance of your hope. And so their second application question, which is all about that assurance of hope, um, what is the hope that you have? Uh, knowing this, does it give you assurance of your own salvation? We actually wanted to change that a bit. And the question that we came up with, which is the big question of the study, um, and the question that we'll end it on with the application is, what are you doing to be growing in your spiritual maturity? Because if you're not growing, you can't have assurance. But if you want assurance, then you've got to be growing. Mm. Now, the reason why I think they've come up with the application that they came up with, which is a bit more about faith, is because the second or the last section of the passage is really dealing with assurance. Mm. Uh, it's... It's, there's an interesting... This is chapter 6, verse 9, yeah, through to end, right? 20. Yeah. 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 It's quite interesting because in chapter 6, in the first half, 4 to 8, it seems to be saying, watch out. You know, If you fall away, then you're in real trouble. Then mm. the second half seems to be saying, but actually, we've got assurance. And a couple of times it says, um, so that you'll be assured of this hope that you've got. There's a really interesting tension there. There is, um, and there, there's some things to be said for that because like, questions like this are going to abound. Like In some Bible studies, I've already heard a question of can Christians fall away? Mm. Um, and so it's something that we want to address. And so what I've got, um, when I send out the Bible study to you guys, you'll also receive an article by a man called Thomas Schreiner. I think he's one of the best uh, biblical exegetes we have in the evangelical word. He's, he's an American. Um, and he's written an article on just what to do with this, this tension that develops between the assurance passages in the Bible, which say, once saved, always saved, you can't fall away, and the warning passages in the Bible, which seem to suggest that you can. Uh, and so what I wanted to do now, very briefly, is summarize the various ways people have tried to reconcile this tension and give you a way forward um, if that question pops up in your Bible study. I want to warn you, this could very easily derail your study if you give it too much head when somebody asks the question, um, but you may deem it necessary and wise to let it derail the study. Um, however, you may choose to just nip it in the bud and give an answer and then 
come back later and we'll leave that to your discretion. Um, but with that in mind, let's talk a bit about some of the different things that people have said. How do we reconcile the fact that on the one hand, Scripture says we can't lose our salvation, and on the other it says that we can? Assurance versus warning. Well, the first way that people re respond to it um, is the classic Arminian position, uh, whereby they say that it is possible to lose your salvation, and it does happen. Uh, you can be a genuine Christian at one point in, in your life, in history, and then at another point, not. So that's the, um, the first position. The problem with that position is that Scripture doesn't affirm that. Scripture will say that once you're a Christian, you will always be a Christian. You're sealed with the deposit of the Holy Spirit. That's exactly Ephesians right. 1. Ephesians 1. Uh, Philippians 1, verse 6, He who has begun a good work in you will, be, will bring it to completion. Um, in Romans, which we're seeing in Bible talks, uh, Romans 5 next week, we'll actually see that those who have been justified have a certain hope. And then again in Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus um, once we are connected to him. So those who are justified will be glorified. And we'll see that when we do chapter 8 in the Bible talks. And again, if you just want more proof, John chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus, as the shepherd talking about his sheep, he will lose none uh, that he is given. None can be snatched from his hand. And so the problem with this position that says, uh, losing your salvation is possible and does happen is the scriptures emphatically deny that. And yet, there is still a tension because even Judas, who appeared Christian, who appeared to be a follower of Jesus, right until the end, he fell away. Yeah, he definitely betrayed Jesus yeah. in the end. And so that leads us to a second position, which would be called the test of genuineness position whereby they say that losing your salvation is not possible, but it does happen. <laughs> and and, and what, what they're saying when they say that is that the warning passages are not actually addressed to true Christians, but to people who aren't Christians. Um, so people who appear to be Christians. And so the ones that fall away, um, what's happening there is that it's just showing that their faith was never genuine. Um, and so you've got some classic names like John Owen and that sort of thing who hold to that. Um, now, that's actually quite a persuasive position um, and quite a prominent one. And so it's worth considering and thinking about that, uh, because what they're doing is rightly putting the emphasis on the fact that Je Jesus promised to us that once we become a Christian, we become his, we, we cannot be snatched from his hand. They're putting emphasis on that. Um, the problem with it, though, is actually Hebrews 6. Because when you look at Hebrews 6 and you look at the verses 4 and 5 where it talks about all the different things, you know, for those who have been enlightened, tasted the heavenly gift, shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, those five phrases, they're actually addressed to Christians. Um, there are people who will mount exegetical arguments to say that they're not. Uh, but particularly when you get to ones like sharing in the Holy Spirit uh, and in, in the powers of the age to come, um, you have to face the fact that exegetically, the author of Hebrews is writing to Christians. Mm. He is not writing to people who appear to be Christians. Uh, it's not um, an outward appearing thing. And so that kind of makes you question the test of genuous argument. Mm. Now, there are two others that are worth mentioning briefly. Um, the third is the hypothetical view, which says you can't lose your salvation and it doesn't happen. But the problem with that then is why do we even have the warning passages? Mm. If it's addressing Christians, but they will never fall away. If it's, it's not possible, set. yeah, that's basically the, the technical term, a null set. Why would the warning passages even be there? 
Um, and then the fourth of the alternate views is the irreconcilable tension view, which basically just says, we don't know. <laughs> but they're both there, they're both true, we both hack it. Uh, but what Thomas Schreiner does is he comes along and he says, similar to the test of genuineness thing, um, you can't lose your salvation. But then he says, like the hypothetical view, um, nobody loses their salvation. Um, the difference being, though, that it is written to believers. And so what he tries to do um, is tell you why the warning passages are there. So I haven't done that very clearly. Let me say it again. You can't lose your salvation, and nobody does lose their salvation, but the warning passages are written to believers. And so how does he reconcile that? Well, he says that every believer, uh, every genuine believer, will not only never fall away, but they will always respond to the warning passages. And so he calls his position a means of salvation position. So it seems like the warning itself is part of how God makes sure that people won't fall away. That's exactly right. And so it's sort of like that null set idea in the hypothetical view. The difference being that it has a very clear function. Mm. God is actively using the warnings to ensure that we as believers continue in the faith. Mm. Uh, and so practically what that means for us in terms of application is that as a Christian, when you hear this warning passage, it should scare you. Um, at the same time, you should remember that you are completely assured of your salvation. Which is what this passage does, right? Exactly what it does. It's 4 to 8 saying, hang on, there is a real danger that you could be burnt in the end. But... We've got assurance because mm. we will heed this and we'll, you know, yeah. in light of this, we're going to make sure that we persist to the end and God has promised to be faithful. Yeah. And if that is hard to hold in your head, that doesn't surprise me. Um, my experience has been, just as a word of personal testimony, that the, the longer I've walked with Jesus and the more mature I've gotten, the more comfortable those two contrary ideas sit in my mind. Uh, and not just in my mind intellectually, but experientially as well. Like I read these passages and I'm reminded to do away with sin. To not be the ground that produces the thorn and the thistles, but try and produce a useful crop. Mm. Because if I'm doing that, I know that I'm on track in my salvation. Um, and that's from my point of view. From God's point of view, the warning is ensuring that I stay with him. As he's promised, he will make sure it will happen. Which I think is a really good thing to pray for. Yeah, I have, think so. Do you want to do that? I do. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another chance this week to teach your word on campus. Father, as we do, we ask that you would help us to be rightly rebuked and warned at our lack of godliness and maturity. But Father, please let this drive us, as you promised that it will, to a, uh, a great assurance and certainty of the hope that you have given us of life with your Son when he returns. Father, please uh, help us to rejoice in these passages, even when it's kind of hard to understand what's going on. We pray that we can lead our groups in a way that's helpful this week. Amen. Oh, man. We'll catch you next week, guys. On the flip. What the heck was that? <laughs>